Hey everyone, uh, this is Dave Pira, CEO of SpiderUp, welcoming all of you to the latest installment of the Zero Trust for Zero Gravity podcast, where we interview thought leaders, executives at companies, academics, and all sorts of interesting folks at the intersection of space and cybersecurity. And I am especially pleased to introduce our guest for, for this episode, Professor Hashi Sudler, who we ran across and then were on a panel with, at least my colleague uh, and uh, Matt Erickson was on a panel with. And he said, you've got to talk to this person. You have to have him on the podcast. And he's graciously agreed. So let me throw it over to you, Professor Sudler, to give a little bit of the background of why and how you sit at that intersection. Well, thanks, Dave. And thank you very much for inviting me onto this podcast to discuss some of the work that we're doing uh, as it relates to blockchains and space with you. Uh, a little bit about my background. Uh, I uh, am currently an adjunct professor at Villanova University. I teach in a couple of areas at the university. One is in cybersecurity, uh, and the other focuses very specifically on blockchain technologies. And we see these relate somewhat because uh, cybersecurity and blockchain are all about securing information uh, for, for the users. Uh, aside from the research that I do at the university and in teaching, I also run a software company called Internet Think Tank. It focuses on cybersecurity. Uh, and we're also beginning to delve more deeply into the applications of blockchain in a variety of fields, uh, space, the legal field, uh, healthcare. Uh, so we're very interested in exploring the applications of blockchain in a wide variety of use cases. And applying it to space is, is a rather interesting and very rapidly emerging Field. So we're leaning very heavily into what the potentials are for applying blockchain in space. And from a research perspective, understanding the limits of blockchain in space. So we make sure that if we're going to use this network for any purpose, we can rely on it, uh, given that space is very much a harsh environment. You know, when I tell people that I'm, I lead a software company that uses you know, distributed ledger or private permission blockchain for cybersecurity, I get plenty of strange looks because, you know, blockchain and Bitcoin or, you know, cryptocurrency seem to be indelibly blinked. And then we take it to a whole other level of puzzled look when I say in space. So I wonder if you run across some of that same challenge or hill to climb when it comes to explaining to folks these unique in different concepts, and it's not just about currencies in, in flying around the earth. Absolutely. There's uh, three major hurdles when we talk about blockchains in space. The first is decoupling Bitcoin from blockchain. Uh, so we have to first get past that because people have heard of Bitcoin. They may have not heard of blockchain. Uh, second is the hurdle of explaining what blockchain is. That's, it's not an easy technology to explain, certainly not within a few minutes. And once people get the sense of what blockchain is about, then the big question is, well, why blockchain in space? What, what value is blockchain providing in space? Uh, and to really unpack that particular answer, what I really talk about is the need for satellites to be able to transact information between one another. Uh, we know satellites capture a wide variety of very useful and unique information. Uh, some of that information is, is about Earth, others about uh, celestial events that are happening. We've certainly seen you know, very important and powerful telescopes that we have launched. And what we'd love to be able to do is to take some of this unique raw data that these satellites are acquiring 
and be able to transact some of that information from one satellite to another satellite that might find that information useful could mix that uh, data into its own data that it's acquiring and to be able to then send that to its respective you know, owners. And we have to consider, too, that a wide variety of satellites out there are owned by different companies in different countries. So it would be great if we could find a way we could uh, make transactions between satellites, this inter-satellite communication, uh, very reliable, uh, such that satellites do not necessarily need to trust each other, but they still can feel uh, free and, and have a reliable way of transacting that information to each other so that we can get the most out of the data that uh, our satellites are acquiring. Satellites are getting smaller as well, and because they're getting smaller, they're getting cheaper to send up in the space, uh, and that's a very good thing. We can we can get uh, satellites that can be very performant and do some very useful things with small form factors. At the same time, as these satellites get more specialized, uh, we find a need for these satellites to rely on one another. One satellite could do one job particularly well. Another satellite may be very quick to do something else very well. But if they operate in a loose form of a constellation where they can rely on each other for some information and transact that information, we find that to be a very powerful model going forward. It can also help individuals monetize satellites themselves. So now creating satellites is not just about fulfilling a mission. It's potentially about collecting very useful data that other satellites may find quite useful in, in the future in, in their missions. So we, we find there's a, a very unique opportunity uh, going forward, and we'd like to really help uh, fulfill the needs of that by introducing a blockchain network, but also make sure that the blockchain is stable or we need to do that for satellites. Well, especially in what we call swap-constrained places, right? So size, weight, and power. I mean, space is pressing all those buttons. So most of SpiderOak's clients in space are on proliferated LEO types of applications. Now, sometimes they deploy SpiderOak tech on the ground or on the payload or on the bus, on the satellite itself, but size, weight, and power constantly come up. And one thing I find that I have to constantly explain is, yes, I know that it's for Bitcoin, there's a lot of energy. People just recall in the news, like all these farms of servers and GPUs and HPCs computing new coins. And it's like, no, you don't have to do all the things that Bitcoin does in space. And we certainly aren't doing proof of work in space, at least for the cybersecurity application that SpiderOak does. I'm just curious if you could tell us about those swap constraints and how that relates to some of the work that you're doing uh, in orbit right now with the Firefly Aerospace Alpha rocket. Sure. And you're absolutely right. Uh, introducing a consensus model like proof of work uh, would be very difficult simply because of the huge energy requirements that, that proof of work demands. Uh, you would drain the batteries of the satellites very quickly. So we have to move away from a proof of work model to other types of consensus models. And one could entertain proof of stake, or one could introduce what we're using, which is proof of authority. And proof of authority is essentially a way of using the reputation of the miner or the owner of a particular node such that uh, that individual uh, must maintain good security for their satellite node. Uh, they need to maintain certainly good behavior and integrity in supporting the blockchain. So the moment we start talking about uh, an individual who has to abide by certain rules, 
uh, we are talking about a private blockchain, so it's not the traditional uh, public blockchain that we see with the Bitcoin blockchain or Ethereum. It is a private blockchain uh, for which a consortium of members would admit individuals uh, as validators or supporters of the blockchain who can properly support it with good integrity and uh, secures their systems. So our experimentation uses proof of authority, which is uh, low power and is very fast. So we can do uh, block times as, as short as you know one second, even a fraction of a second within milliseconds. And we can really get a, a good sense of how quickly the satellites can communicate with one another and process transactions. The unique problem, of course, with uh, a space-based network is that these satellites are moving, and they're moving fairly quickly um, around the Earth, and the Earth is fairly large. So you have to have enough of these satellites uh, moving around in low Earth orbit to be able to see each other frequently enough in order to uh, replicate their data and, and synchronize with one another. If you have too few satellites, then you will have large latency and lag in, in synchronization between the nodes. And therefore, you may have a, a bit of lag in processing the transactions across all the nodes on the blockchain. So, so we certainly have moved to proof of authority to deal with the power issue. Uh, we also now have to work with latency and with synchronization timing as another constraint that is very serious for us uh, because people do expect uh, not only that their information is uploaded and synchronized across the blockchain uh, in a fast enough manner, but also that it remains secure. So we, we cannot process transactions with too few nodes uh, seeing each other relative to all the nodes of the blockchain simply because they cannot see each other while they're orbiting around the Earth. And, and maybe they'll, they'll see a neighbor uh, within the blockchain network uh, once every 90 minutes. Uh, that obviously is a constraint. So we are calculating what's the minimum number of blockchain nodes that we need in order to make a relatively high-performance blockchain network in space. Can you tell us a little bit more about this uh, nonprofit Teachers in Space and the Firefly Aerospace Alpha Rocket and what you're doing on it? That's really exciting. Absolutely. So uh, Teachers in Space, which is headed by Elizabeth Kinnick, uh, she's the president of the nonprofit organization. Uh, and in Elizabeth uh, Kinnick and I, we actually go way back. Uh, we used to be colleagues at, at Morgan Stanley uh, back in the 1990s. And we uh, certainly moved in, into different directions in our careers, uh, only to come back and uh, for me to find that she's involved in space-related activities. Uh, when I was an undergrad at Villanova University, uh, I was also very engaged in space-related research at that time. So I was very excited to hear that uh, she had been driving towards putting a satellite into space on the Firefly Aerospace rocket. And I was at the time doing research on blockchain, and uh, one of my students in his uh, graduate paper was investigating blockchains in space. It was a very interesting topic that we wanted to explore, and we saw some other organizations doing uh, some very early stage investigative work. So I thought, well, this may be a great opportunity to really partner uh, between Villanova University and Teachers in Space and have a blockchain that we're doing at the university hosted on Teachers in Space Serenity Satellite. That's the name of their uh, satellite. And we could put this together with uh, other experiments that Teachers in Space uh, had designed 
uh, to have it put on the Firefly rocket and, and launch it into space. Uh, and the launch would put into low Earth orbit for about 30 to 60 days. That would be plenty enough time for the university to do some experiments uh, against that network uh, to see how, at least from a ground station to a satellite communication perspective, how we could update information to that node in space, how that node can synchronize with ground nodes on Earth. Uh, so what we did is we, we partnered. So Villanova University has been working with teachers in space uh, really over the past uh, year and a half to develop the Serenity satellite with the blockchain node on that satellite. Uh, and we have been working closely with Firefly to get our rocket launched into space. There was an attempt to launch the rocket into space back on September 2nd of 2021. Uh, it was the very first launch for Firefly to attempt to launch their, their first vehicle ever uh, into space. And uh, that, that's a very challenging thing to do, uh, launching the very first rocket. Uh, so the rocket did not completely get in space. It uh, took off from the launch pad very nicely, uh, flew for about two minutes. But after a while, there was some anomaly with one of the engines that caused the rocket to go into a bit of a tumble. It was losing a little control. So the ground station at the Vandenberg, Vandenberg Space Force Base did detonate the rocket before it went any further. Now, did you um, watch all this pilot, live, Professor Sudler? Were you, were you like watching and following this live? I, I was. I was there watching it, holding oh. my breath, and, and hoping it would get to to orbit. And no, all uh, that work, all that must have been heartbreaking. <laughs> I'm not making light of it. I mean, can you? I just, I'm just trying to put myself in your shoes, where you put all this emotion, time, and effort, and just like, oh no. Uh, we, we certainly knew the odds were that something might go wrong on the very first launch. I mean, no other rocket company has ever successfully launched a rocket on the very first go. Uh, it took SpaceX many times to get the first rocket successfully launched in the space. So um, we said, look, we're going to take this gamble with Firefly and, and everyone else who's involved. Uh, we were there emotionally invested uh, with uh, Tom Matursik, uh from Firefly and, and everyone else uh, in hopes that they did get in the space. But, it did not, and, and we didn't take that badly. We said, look, we'll go back to the drone board, build another Serenity satellite that Teachers in Space is building now, and, and we rebuilt our, our blockchain. And we're including some additional experiments as well for the second go. And when do you plan to have that go up? Um, that is currently scheduled for um, around April or May timeframe. Now, the, the schedule is uh, right now awaiting Firefly to confirm it. They're going through some uh, just management, uh, you know, adjustments and in, in preparations and in, in working with the U.S. government. So, so once they have everything complete and, and they get it all clear from from the government to go ahead and, and, and be ready to launch, uh, we'll be ready with our satellite. Well, what's the one thing that you're most interested in? Because I'm 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 guessing you have simulated latency power and all sorts of other restrictions on the ground you're not waiting just to see what will happen in space but you must have this one lingering thing in your head like i wonder if x will actually work well or performantly in space what's the one thing you want to see proven or disproven yeah one of the things that you've uh, been looking at on earth is uh, how the blockchain is is going to communicate first of all with the ground and we know that as the satellite comes into view, uh, we will have an opportunity to start talking to it at a certain point, uh, and it will be overhead for some period of time, and then it leaves view. 
And we want to make sure that as we see the satellite rise, uh, we're able to communicate our information from the ground nodes. We have about four ground nodes on the AWS uh, server where we'll then be able to communicate that information up to the satellite and, and get information back. Uh, and one of the more important things we really want to see work is just the loading of smart contracts. You know, can we successfully load these smart contracts from ground to uh, to space? Um, and perhaps even slightly before we can see the satellite, um, the timing of when we can start talking to the satellite as it's orbiting around the Earth is, is a written important question because it's all about timing. How much time do I actually have to communicate with this satellite? And if the satellite is setting and going out of view, if I'm in the middle of a transaction, uh, what will happen to my transaction? Will it, will it just fail? Uh, will it reverse itself? Uh, so we really want to look at those edge cases when we're just beginning to see the satellite and when the satellite's going out of view. If we're in the middle of a series of transactions, which one of those transactions will be dropped? Uh, which ones will be processed correctly? Uh, and for the very first test, and again, we're only dealing with one node in space, uh, and it's the simplest test that you can do, uh, is to really see how the satellite in space is going to process our transactions as it's really coming into view and leaving view. Now, you're not just a researcher, engineer, and professor. You're also uh, an author. I'd like to talk a little bit of your contribution to a book by the name of Blockchain Impact. And I'm sure a big part of that book was explaining to folks that Blockchain and Bitcoin are not synonymous, right? But you uh, contributed a chapter to that book. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. The Blockchain Impact was a great collaboration of many authors, uh, all of them specialists in, in blockchain technology in a variety of ways. Uh, it was consulted by Christian Devadavan, uh, who pulled us all together. And I wrote uh, one chapter in the book that covers two projects that I've been working on at the university. Uh, one of the projects uh, being the space blockchain project, uh, the other uh, applying blockchain to contact tracing for COVID-19. Uh, and in this particular book really helps to highlight some of the diversity of use cases that blockchain can be applied for. Uh, certainly COVID is a very timely issue that we've been dealing with. I started a Tiger team at the university, the moment we, we realized in 2020 that uh, this was a serious pandemic and everyone needed to uh, find solutions for ways that uh, we could help society manage through it until at least a vaccine was identified. Contact tracing became an important tool to help people understand who they coming in contact with. Uh, there were some solutions that came out uh, from, from Google and Apple for using your mobile phones. And we thought, you know, that's, that's great in terms of using mobile technology, but we felt it was really important to have the underlying uh, network via blockchain because it really helps to improve the security of people's information. You take away a lot of the work that the cell phones need to do. You really have the blockchain manage that information instead. And so you can use smart con contracts to essentially detect who has come in contact with whom and alert you if you come in contact with someone who later identifies as being COVID positive. So that's uh, certainly a piece of research that uh, we've uh, launched and we continue to investigate the, the effectiveness of using blockchain for these types of healthcare applications and for contract tracing for you know future pandemics as, as the world evolves into them. Um, the other part of the, the chapter dealt in detail 
about the, the launch and these uh, blockchains that we're doing for the satellite. Uh, and it, it breaks down specifically the issues that we're looking at for the first launch, which would be a single satellite talking to a number of blockchain nodes on Earth, but also projects what we're looking to do going forward uh, beyond this first launch, we're looking to then do several satellites in space that would interact and transact with one another. We'll start with a small constellation of, say, three nodes, three satellites that would then transact with one another, plus communicate with the ground station. So altogether, we really map out this roadmap of what we're trying to do with a very simple test and, and projecting out further to more complex tests of, of blockchain in space. Uh, just to kind of round out the discussion, could you tell us a little bit some of your work at the Internet Think Tank? Yeah, so Internet Think Tank um, is a company that I developed uh, actually uh, since the year 2000. Um, this was a time when I was uh, living and, and working in Japan, and I started my company there. Um, and, and we really focused a lot in the early days of uh, web technologies and, and, and creating very interactive, rich web experiences on, on the web. Uh, now, that's fairly commonplace today, uh, but back in year 2000, that was very new, cutting-edge technology. So I'm very pleased to be a part of really uh, pioneering the use of um, rich web interfaces for the web. Uh, we have sharpened our focus in the company in, in the latter years to really helping to support companies uh, to secure their web applications because cybersecurity has become an extremely important theme for, for web applications, particularly for e-commerce. So we've been focusing a lot on uh, cybersecurity. Now we're currently starting to pull into uh, blockchain as part of our uh, portfolio of products and services that we, we work on. And um, we'll be looking at combining both the security aspects uh, with blockchain uh, and in looking at how we can introduce blockchain products in a variety of industries that have very strong security as part of it. Well, excellent. Any parting thoughts or comments? Um, I think we're in a, a very amazing space right now. Um, the space economy is growing and emerging very, very quickly. Uh, and we've seen you know huge leaps and bounds in terms of humans, citizens now going into space. So, so I think we've seen an inflection point in terms of how space is developing and in maturing fairly quickly. One of the most important things that I look at from an entrepreneurial perspective as, as well as from a research perspective is really helping to establish a, a very core set of infrastructure that we're going to need as we expand into space. Uh, yes, internet uh, will be in space. Uh, we're going to need blockchains in space as well. And as we start seeing more people live in space, uh, more missions performed in space around asteroids and out as far as Mars and, and beyond, uh, we're going to need ways in which we can transact information reliably across different nodes, uh, satellites owned by different entities uh, that will really help to uh, transact and move information and even pay for that information uh, for everything that we're doing off of Earth. So I think this is a really exciting time to get that infrastructure in place and we're happy to be a part of it. Yeah, and I can't tell you how much of a thrill it is for me to meet a fellow traveler on the weird intersection of space, cybersecurity, and blockchain. And this I've learned a lot just on, on this talk with you. So thank you so much. And to our listeners, stay tuned for the next exciting episode of Zero Trust or Zero Gravity. Thanks, Dave.